0: Dignity of man. Americans of both left and right get frustrated with government spending public taxpayer money for things that don't work. And it's even more frustrating when instead of stopping and reassessing these programs, our government doubles down and accelerates spending on programs and policies which do not produce the desired results. Topping the list of investing big bucks into a rat hole is done under the broad category of defense or military spending. The goal, of course, the stated goal, is to increase America's national security. Also, of course, many of these costly line items yield the reverse. They very effectively fan the flames of violence and anger at our policies and make us less secure. Lately, President Trump has painted the few thousand people from Central America as an invasion, and he's certainly framing his demand for $5.7 billion as an investment in a more secure border. What exactly he is protecting us from is certainly an open question, as is the morality of Trump's approach. But what is not in question is that a few thousand people are walking hundreds of miles in absolute desperation. Of course, a wall only shuts off one of the many ways into the U.S. As we've seen in other cases, determined people find ways to get around the inconvenience. It does nothing to stop the hopeful, desperate refugees. If something doesn't work, it is not good, a good use of public money. So what could work? What is it that motivates people to leave places like Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and elsewhere? Well, writing for Foreign Policy in Focus, our guest today, Ed Corcoran, writes that Central America needs a Marshall Plan. U.S. policies helped create the refugee crisis in Central America. Better ones can help resolve it. What does he mean by Marshall Plan? What would it mean for the U.S. and Central Americans? How much would it cost? How likely is it? that it would work. Ed Cargrin, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive.
1: Yes, I I think that the problem worldwide with the refugee crises has to be addressed at countries of origin. Uh, Once they get up to borders, once they get pushing into Europe or the United States, it's far too late. Yes. And in the case of Central America, uh, the problems back in Central America go back really several centuries yes. to when, when Spain first set up a, a system of local leaders that depressed uh, the indigenous people. But it really came to a head about a century ago when U.S. businessmen began to seriously look for profits in Central America, set up
0: and they what found him.
1: called banana republic. Yes. Uh, before you these get
0: were, Before you get too far, let me let me introduce you. Ed Cochran is, oh. a, is a retired US Army strategic analyst, very interested in overall national security issues. He's a contributor to Foreign Policy and focus. He was a strategic analyst at the US Army War College where he chaired studies for the office of the Deputy Chief of Operations. His last military position was at the Strategic Studies Institute, responsible for providing strategic analysis to the U.S. Army Chief of Staff. So he knows what he's talking about. He's posted a number of commentaries on the globalsecurity.org CITREP and also on Huffington and authored Threats and Challenges Strategies for a New Century. He's also been very involved in promoting economic development in Afghanistan. What a concept. But his core interest is U.S. national strategy. What sort of a nation do we want and how do we get there? Well, there is a lot to talk about, as you mentioned. It's been going on for a long time. Now, first off, not everyone is familiar with what we mean when we say the Marshall Plan. Uh, People my age certainly do. What was that? What were its goals? How successful was the Marshall Plan, and how much did it cost? So talk about that, if you would, please.
1: Yes. Uh, Post-World War I, uh, Europe got to be uh, very, uh, really hammered down on the losing countries, and it just set the stage for World War II. After World War II, the United States led an effort to see that this was done differently. To see that the vanquished countries, uh, Germany in particular, uh, Italy, Japan, the vanquished countries were brought into democratic ties with uh, the other nations rather than pounding them back down and setting the stage for yet another war. One of the key elements of that was the Marshall Plan. Uh, Basically, the United States, and to some extent the Allies, put a ton of money into Germany, into Italy, into Japan, setting up democratic institutions, setting up uh, a democracy that would work, uh, redoing, uh, redoing the local economies so that they were were profitable, so that they served the people. Uh, This was a a really far-reaching strategic effort by the United States, uh, and it resonated wonderfully. It it made a huge change. Uh, In Europe, the European Union ended centuries of people, uh, Germany, France, Poland, uh, fighting one another, instead put together... A an area where the thought of internal wars is now really not even thinkable anymore. And right. and a lot of that was due to the economic assistance, uh, the Marshall Plan post-World War Two.
0: Yes, it did work. It absolutely worked. And uh, it's important to learn from history. We hardly ever do. But we've all been made aware of what Trump insists, is a crisis at our southern border now from your military strategic background what is the reality what what are some real numbers how much of an invasion is it
1: you know uh we have a lot of threats we talk about now like the threat of terrorism and the threat of terrorists getting mixed in with these people at the border Uh, We put billions of dollars into facing threats, and most of them are are really minimal. Uh, During the end of the Cold War, we faced a threat from the Soviet Union, uh, a threat of nuclear war, a threat that could have killed 100 million Americans. Now we face a threat from terrorists worldwide uh, that maybe this year they'll kill 100 Americans. We kill 100 Americans on the roads every
2: day. (laughs) Uh,
1: We kill almost 100 Americans with drug overdoses every day. A threat of killing 100 Americans through a year, that isn't a a serious threat for a nation. Uh, That's a nuisance threat. That's a a law and order threat. Uh, And the threat at the border is, is even less than that. We have thousands of really desperate people and Trump is trying to talk as though uh, these were all potential terrorists looking to infiltrate into the United States. Uh, of course, it's possible there's a couple terrorists mixed in. Uh, but this isn't a threat to the country. This, this is a nuisance.
0: And I think it, of course, matters uh, that they have darker skin. You know, if they were from Scandinavia, (laughs) it'd be no problem. But that's, well, that is certainly related. And, of course, people from Central America were here in what's now the United States before the white European invasion. And Emma Lazarus' poem on the Statue of Liberty welcomes refugees has been a key part of our national identity for a very long time. As your essay in Foreign Policy and Focus points out, these people are, quote, frantically seeking a new life. Now, as you point out, Trump's tirade against refugees from Central America kicked off with his decision to remove Honduran's temporary protected status. What was that about?
1: Uh, Well, we've given temporary protective status to a number of countries. Uh, In the case of Honduras, there was a major earthquake, uh, I think in 79, uh, quite a while ago, uh, a major earthquake that created uh, huge distress and thousands of refugees, and the United States granted them entry to the United States on a temporary basis uh, while the country was stabilizing after the earthquake. Uh, of course, many of them stayed here for, for many years then and really became integrated into the U.S. Uh, economy. Uh, the same thing, we granted temporary status to Haitians about 10 years ago after a major earthquake, uh, and, and that's being reviewed. So the United States has been very helpful to regional countries Uh, that faced sudden, unexpected uh, natural disasters. Uh, And and the the Honduran uh, example is just one of them.
0: So why did he uh, remove the temporary protected status? Was it just that it had been long enough, do you think, or was there something else uh, directing him, do you think?
1: Well, long enough, For Honduras to recover from the earthquake, but Honduras has descended into uh, a really terrible uh, autocracy, and and to send people back into that sort of a situation uh, is really totally inappropriate. That's what people are fleeing there. Uh, I think uh, this is part of a larger effort on Trump's basis uh, to raise some, uh, some real non-issues to distract attention from what I see as the most significant problem in America, which is the huge income inequality between people, uh, which is something that, say, Trump's tax effort uh, supported. And rather than, than talk about things like this, The administration likes to raise problems with race, with immigration, uh, and and talk loudly about them, and get people all focused on non-issues, and nobody talks about the income inequality. Certainly nobody in the administration, uh, certainly nobody or very few people in Congress. Uh, That's changing after the midterms. Uh, But there's very little attention paid to this key element of of problem in the United States. And the focus on immigration is one of the things uh, that helps distract attention from it.
0: That's the way I see it. Oh, I think you're right. He is uh, an expert at not very many things, but one of them is distracting people, putting shiny new objects out there so that... You know, and, and he don't. You think he cares about uh, income inequality? Heck, no. He loves it. If you just tuned in, Burt Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive, and we're talking about uh, with our guest uh, Ed Cochran, who's a retired U.S. Army strategic anal- analyst uh, looking at national security issues. We're talking about his essay that Central America needs a a Marshall Plan, something that worked after World War Two, but. Nobody's really talking about it now. Now, as with the entire non-white dominated world, European dominated cultures have been very effective at making places like Central America subservient to their wants. Very profitable. You refer to our long traditional policy as boosting U.S. commercial interests at the expense of the indigenous populations. And then slapping a Cold War frame on the reality of Vietnam, for example, certainly didn't serve us, or them, particularly well. How did the Cold War similarly exacerbate the situation in Central America? The Cold
1: War, uh, America, American government absolutely focused on the struggle with the Soviet Union. And that was given such a huge priority that anything that got in the way of it was just overwhelmed. And one thing that got in the way of it was American traditional values. Uh, the efforts we put forth in Europe uh, to stabilize countries and to promote democracy was a really huge plus for America. And it's really an exceptional Uh, thing for America. In many other areas, and certainly during the Cold War, America worked with a a number of autocratic regimes, and the only requirement for working with these regimes was that they were anti-communist. If they spoke out loudly against the communists, against the Soviet Union, the United States was perfectly willing to work with them. And that was certainly true in Central America. Uh, The United States had already had pretty much a tradition of working with the governments there uh, following the problems or the situation with the Banana Republics uh, in the 10s and 20s when U.S. governments supported governments there so long as they were friendly to U.S. businesses. So they had a tradition, uh, the the U.S. government had a tradition of working with those governments even though they were not very friendly to the indigenous population. And this was just intensified during the Cold War. During the Cold War this approach got to be global, uh, Mm -hmm. but it was very strong in Central America and several of the governments there uh, were really uh, very autocratic, very tough on the local indigenous populations. Uh, there were a number of uh, freedom movements, of uh, movements that started indigenous uh, anti-government movements down there, and the U.S. by and large worked with the local governments to suppress these movements uh, because because they were against. Uh, a an anti-communist government uh, because in many cases they spoke out for the rights of individuals and they sounded uh, at times sort of socialistic, sort of communist. At times they oh, even sorry. were. Yeah. Uh, but they were indigenous movements trying to promote uh, a better life for the indigenous people and the local governments worked hard to suppress them and the United States Uh, With military support, in many cases, uh, military training, military equipment, the United States helped uh, these autocratic governments uh, suppress the indigenous populations.
0: Right. And uh, people get angry. You know, there's a lot of people that were oppressed and a few people who made a great deal of money. And we know where that goes eventually. Now, with the election of Barack Obama in 2008, I can't help but think that a lot of the people of Central America thought, ah, oh, man, maybe there'll be a breath of fresh air, a change from this disastrous, oppressive policy. Honduras, in the spring of 2009, just when Obama was coming into power, it was the start of his administration. I expected a change away from our active colonialism. What happened then? in in Honduras in 2009 with Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's approval.
1: Uh, Well, uh, I think it was just a a case of of furthering this traditional support for governments. Uh, They provided uh, not only diplomatic support, uh, but they provided a lot of of military training, of military equipment, uh, of uh, trade support of whatever support was necessary uh, to keep the governments associated with the United States in their quest against the Soviet Union.
0: And of course, uh, they kept a government in power despite the people's will there. And and I can't imagine the the hope. Remember that slogan, hope, uh, was was kind of squashed down because it was more of the same, same as it ever was. Now, certainly, possibly the most powerful political tool in the toolbox is fear. Trump has intentionally drummed up fear of these refugees from Central American countries. He blames them for our massive drug problem. Of course, the reality is the drug problem is centered at the southern border of Connecticut, where pharma makes and pushes its deadly opioids but that's not the border he's talking about, the southern border. Uh, Some of the drugs do come from the region of Central America, and as you write, it fuels much of the criminality in the region. End of quote. Supply-side economics, I don't believe, ever works. The demand for illicit drugs in the United States creates huge economic incentive for Central Americans who are largely impoverished. There's money there. Corruption, what a surprise, is rampant. Yet, as you point out, President Trump has threatened to cut off USA to the countries uh, that refugees flee from, to cut off their aid. You say that is exactly the opposite of what's needed. What's needed is a comprehensive regional strategy for economic development in support of democracy and human rights. In other words, a new Marshall Plan. Take a few minutes, please, and tell us how that Marshall Plan for Central America might be best structured.
1: Well, uh, to start with, the governments down there are clearly a problem. Uh, the governments are profiting uh, from all this corruption from the drug trade. Uh, the government, by and large, are are part of the problem, uh, and so to provide a lot of assistance down there uh, is necessarily going to be a long-term program, uh, and it's going to have to be a program that's really closely watched. It's gonna, it could be a program that starts with some of the quieter countries and the quieter areas, places like Belize, uh, places that you could help make into a showcase of, of really uh, positive domestic action and help fuel uh, interest in in what we call the northern triangle countries of uh, Honduras El Salvador and Guatemala fuel interest there for support for these sorts of things. Uh, the US government could work with a government down there, for example uh, to set up a separate economic zone uh, that could be, closely monitored, and a zone where there really was some economic development, a zone that would even provide an alternative for some of the people inside the country, a place that they could go to for a better life without having to come to the United States. Uh, The United States is also involved uh, with a number of lower-level support programs for Uh, different uh, democratic elements inside the countries, and obviously these could continue. Uh, There's a a current problem with uh, Guatemala with throwing out a uh, UN-sponsored team that was in there to monitor corruption, uh, and the government has just recently uh, refused to let them enter, uh, re-enter. And the United States isn't doing anything about it the United States isn't pushing this government uh, to uh, let in United States United Nations monitors that would look uh, in a Uh, an unbiased way that would look at the corruption problems and make recommendations on what to do about them. The government doesn't want anybody looking at the corruption problems, and the United States is going along with their effort uh, to push these monitors out. Uh, So uh, it has to be really a a long-term program starting with the places that work best, starting with the places that are most cooperative. Setting up individual elements uh, that help to promote development without uh, providing uh, corrupt money to the to the locals. Uh, We've done a terrible job on that in some areas, like Afghanistan. We've put in huge amounts of money, and one of the things it's done is fuel corruption because we've done a terrible job of monitoring the use of the money we put in. Uh, And that clearly has to be uh, a central element of anything with aid to Central America. Uh, Individual programs have to be carefully crafted, to do some specific development effort, and they've got to be very closely watched.
0: And I would think it can't just be top-down. It has to be local people participating in it, because when it's just top-down and done to them, you know, people don't take ownership of it. We've seen over and over and over again Absolutely. projects A- like that.
1: Absolutely. It, it's got to start with, with recommendations from the people,
0: yes, uh, true.
1: with buy-in from the people, and with the people putting together the programs that are most important. Sure. And, and <clears throat> that's the opposite of what we've done in Afghanistan, for example. There's a million people, million young people out of work in Afghanistan because we've done such a terrible job of promoting economic development, while we've promoted a huge amount of corruption by putting tons of money in there and not watching it, uh, and certainly not working from the grassroots up. And, and I think that is a key to any effective uh, development sure. efforts and certainly would be, would be critically important in Central America.
0: Boy, I would think so. And JFK had his Alliance for Progress. And I was in rural Peru in 1977, and in what I would call a hut, there was a velvet picture of John Kennedy hanging on the wall. Now, I had my doubts about the real intentions of the Alliance for Progress. How how well did that work? And in what ways would what we're talking about be similar or different from that? How effective was that?
1: Well, I, I can only talk in generalities. I'm not a Latin American specialist, uh, and I really don't know anything specific about the the impact of the Alliance for Progress uh, in Latin America, but I know in general terms, it was one of the things that helped spread uh, the word for America, helped yes. spread the vision of America as as a beacon of freedom, yes. uh, and we really were and and Kennedy took advantage of that of course to to burnish his own standing, uh, but also to present the United States as a country that was seriously interested in helping other countries. And, and I think this Beacon of freedom uh, idea was was very well received. I, I think the United States broadly uh, through the world, was looked upon uh, as a different country, as a country that really wanted freedom really wanted the worth of the individual. Uh, and and really tried to promote democratic development uh, and I think the alliance for progress was part of the 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 uh the efforts that helped promote that that view
0: and it certainly was to our benefit to do that my goodness, to be seen you know respected uh, as a beacon of hope throughout the world that was good for us. I know a lot of the trump people don't care a whit about that, but it is in our national security interest, for that matter. Now, back in 1976, my candidate for president, Fred Harris, who was a guest on this show very recently, said, if you draw a map of high crime and if you draw a map of high unemployment, you're drawing the same map. Uh, Desperation, you know, it's a big part of it. Now, agriculture remains a big part of the Central American economy. What agricultural programs might address this desperation that leads to corruption and people to leave and try to come here?
1: Well, of course, agriculture is terribly important. Uh, And that was the driving force behind businessmen in the banana republics. And bananas clearly are one of the things that worked, Uh, coffee is another. And even now in the United States, we see a number of stores and a number of groups that promote uh, what they call some kind of clean development projects that promote uh, sales of coffee, bananas, other things from Central America and from elsewhere uh, that are produced in conjunction with paying living wages and good working conditions to the local farmers. Uh, And this is obviously a sort of thing that we could do more on a national level on promoting uh, these sorts of, of focused efforts that really helped in specific uh, product areas. And, and there's several of them for, uh, for Central America. I, I think coffee and bananas are two of the biggest, but certainly they're not the only ones.
0: Well, that's for sure. Actually, there's a, I understand there's a, a lack of supply of cacao worldwide, and there's a heck of a lot of demand for chocolate. <laughs> and there's yes. very yes. good uh, environments there. But I think certainly getting the involvement of local people in decision-making, like what would grow well here? You know, you don't want to tell people what to grow. And, and uh, to participate uh, with them. And I, you talk about Afghanistan, there's money to be made in opium let's face it the demand is still very high so guess what there's a supply what are people going to do if if they make more money from from opium uh than they would from you know other products guess what they're going to yeah. make
1: and, and- well uh, that that was a, a terrible result of, of u.s lack of uh, of development there. Well, when we first went in, and, and President Bush said, "Oh, we we don't do nation building; we're sure. just going to send in military stuff." Well, what a disaster! We could have easily put a huge amount of economic development. In Afghanistan would we'll be totally different today, and that's one thing. Of course, we didn't do in Central America. It was the one thing that the focus on communism uh, completely. Uh, completely distracted the U.S. government from its basic values of, of democracy and support for the people. Uh, and it undermined very badly our efforts there to promote real development. Instead, we promoted autocracy.
0: Yes, we do have a tendency to do that. Throughout history. For those who may be just tuning in, Burt Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Live. It's a group effort, folks. Our guest today is Ed Corcoran, who has written that uh, Central America needs a Marshall Plan. U.S. policies helped create the refugee crisis in Central America. Better ones can help resolve it. You know, I wonder, just thinking off the top of my head, what is it, why don't we? Support this. You know the Marshall Plan was very effective after World War II. We helped our enemies; they turned to us. They didn't hate us; they liked us, and that was to our benefit. We did a good, good business with them, as well. And, and, but yet, most Americans have are enthusiastic. Oh, you can't cut the military, even though there's incredible waste and and dumb things without oversight in the military. Yet the idea of another Marshall Plan seems, I mean, people don't want to do that. What's your take on that, Ed?
1: Well, partly it's a question of long term. uh, And it's absolutely true in Central America. Any sort of economic development uh, assistance there isn't going to make a difference tomorrow or even next week or next year it's going to be something that could make a huge difference in in ten or twenty years uh... but people especially politicians uh... that are up for elections don't like to talk about things ten and twenty years ago uh... or ten to twenty years in the future uh... it doesn't grab the voters uh, and what does grab the voters, as you've already mentioned, is things like fear. Uh, we had this terrible uh, onslaught from uh, potential terrorists coming by the thousands into the United States, and we need to do something about it. Uh, that's ridiculous. as I mentioned earlier, the threat we had from the Soviet Union of killing a hundred million Americans that was a threat yeah. <laughs> a threat to kill a hundred Americans. We do that every day, uh, and, and so uh, that's one of the problems, is, is the long-term uh, effect, and the other problem is, is the effect, especially on voters, on, on getting things that people can get excited about yes. and, and not talk about vague and broad programs and long-term programs. Uh, that just doesn't have any traction.
0: Yeah, people are accustomed to simple solutions. I think over time we've become uh, more demanding of instant gratification. And yes. That, that to our ill effect, uh, I know that, I mean, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter, and there were some, not that many, Bernie supporters who felt like, well, since we can't have Bernie, we'll just sit this out, you know, take take the ball and run with it. I supported Hillary Clinton. She wasn't perfect by a long shot, but she was a heck of a lot better than Trump. But people, I think, on the right and left, people want instant gratification. And it's gotten worse. And what we're talking about here long term, it amazes me how I wonder if the Alliance for Progress was popular in America. I have no idea. That was a very long time ago. But, it, boy, it's tough to get people to think long term. And, you know, these short term... So-called solutions, yikes, they cause a lot of problems. We have to look at that. You write, the principal emphasis of this Marshall Plan should be on infrastructure and public health plans that support economic expansion with immediate job opportunities as well as a regional market to expand the Central American economies. Can this be done in a non-colonial way other than top-down I mean, infrastructure, I assume. I go ahead. Uh,
1: what, one, of the, one of the successful programs we had in Afghanistan that I, I think has actually dried up uh, was providing farmers uh, with smartphones uh, on which they could check prices uh, on local markets. They could check uh, the demand for their products uh, in local markets and where the demand was highest and where they should look to move them. Uh, That, of course, was difficult in Afghanistan. uh, But the same thing in Central America. Uh, A broad network of uh, smartphone-associated people uh, that check the markets and check the prices and and pass information back and forth between themselves. This is a real grassroots, bottom-up effort to... Uh, help farmers market their products in the places where uh, they can get the most for them, and also helps them to share information on uh, on wages, on remuneration, on government programs. One of the things we didn't do in Afghanistan, uh, and one of the things we could easily do in Central America and in Afghanistan, is to set up a, a reporting system. Uh, there's Uh, a a popular effort around in South Asia of I paid a bribe, where people can report uh, where they paid a bribe, where they ran into actual uh, corruption on the government level. That sort of thing can be very effective, but it's hard to do, uh, because for one thing, the government naturally looks to react against such things and to really... Uh, provide retribution uh, to really hurt people that promote stuff. And so it has to be something that's really protected. It has to be a reporting system uh, that doesn't just mm, out the people who reported, but that puts some, some serious attention from the top level on what's going on at the bottom level. Uh, but these sort of networks of smartphones, uh, that's the sort of thing that's a, a huge difference from 20 years ago. It's a huge difference from 10 years ago, yeah, for sure. uh, that even in, in places like, like Guatemala and Afghanistan and Nigeria, and uh, even in remote corners of the world, uh, people are getting smartphones and are talking to one another and are, are exchanging information, and that could have a hugely positive effect. Uh, especially if uh the programs at the top promoted this and supported it, uh so that could be very important
0: and certainly part of uh global development over the past half century or so has been from the top down you got the world bank uh and you have uh programs like that that are kind of top down that have caused a lot of damage. For sure. Like in Greece, you know, austerity programs and things like that. Well, they're done to the people, not with the people who are most effective. And yet we see non-governmental organizations doing mini loans, for example, to to farmers. But the U.S. government, couldn't we be doing something like that? Those are fabulously successful, I, I believe. What about them?
1: Uh, I've I've seen a a good bit on microloan programs, particularly in Africa, really having uh, a very positive effect. Uh, And I think that the World Bank has has gotten involved, IFC has gotten involved a little bit with those sorts of things. Uh, But like you've been saying, really the most important efforts are the ones – that make an impact at the grassroots level, Yes, that start at the grassroots level, let let people at the grassroots level uh, make their own determinations on what's important and profit from it.
0: Yeah, imagine that. Really, people benefiting directly from it. We're talking about uh, some sort of a a Marshall plan. And I do, you know, people like Trump looking like a tough guy in the world. It amazes me. You know, it's just image, but that's, all he's about, I guess, as Trump's government has abandoned Africa with words I'd rather not use. China has moved in with massive development projects. Are they involved in Central America as well? I mean, China seems to be the up-and-coming uh, nation, and they understand developmental needs. But I don't know if they're doing it uh, appropriately and usefully or not. W- what do you know about China in Central America?
1: Well, I think in general, China is is promoting very self-serving projects. Yeah. They're promoting projects that give them access to ports and give them access uh, to raw materials, uh, I think both agricultural and and mineral. Uh, but they're not very concerned about supporting uh, the local people, and certainly oh, interesting. Uh, they're willing to work with any local government's no matter how autocratic they are, uh-huh. if they provide the sort of access that China's looking for. Uh, so China's foreign policy support uh, is very self-serving, yeah. and American support for many years was looked at as not being so self-serving. Americans certainly never thought we were self-serving. Americans thought that we were were helping the world and promoting democracy. Uh, The world didn't always quite see it that way. Uh, And now, in particular, with the huge problems at home, uh, the world is very skeptical of, how much America really believes yeah. in its own values. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people worldwide think uh, that American values, democracy and so on, push worldwide. And it has just been a scam to cover up uh, American uh, commercial interests. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's still a minority. And it's minority within America, I think. Americans really look to help other countries. China has no interest at all in doing that, and China has already uh, gotten a lot of pushback from countries where uh, development projects, for one thing, involve mainly sending Chinese laborers to build ports or railroads or or buildings uh, and putting local governments... Uh, in a huge amount of debt to China uh-huh. and, and really looking to give China leverage over the local governments and over the local economies uh, and and very self-serving. And governments are, are reacting to that. And mm-hmm. nevertheless, uh, that's uh, a real concern for the United States. You know, I'd it say. looks like we may be getting involved with uh, military confrontation in the South China Sea. Uh that seems to me totally stupid. <laughs> our our arrangements, our our considerations, our competition with China in, in the century ahead is going to be economic. It's yeah. not going to be military at all. Yeah. Uh, we we have a totally different uh strategic situation than we've ever had before. Uh, The major powers in the world are in no position at all to attack and occupy the others. I mean, for centuries, uh, France could look to uh, attack and occupy Germany or so on. The thought of China attacking and occupying the United States or the United States attacking and occupying China is, right. is, is exactly. ridiculous. Uh, the competition isn't going to be military. The competition is going to be economic. And, and we're doing a terrible job of looking at that. And it's certainly true uh, in Central America. We've got a, we have a huge advantage in being able to work positively in Central America. And, and we're not doing it
0: oh, the opportunities are huge. And you're right, we're just blowing it It, because this ridiculous frame of mind, military, fix it now, tremendous opportunities. And to be, you know, to have the local people look at China and see them as self-serving. And, you know, if we did a real Marshall Plan and it was related to our own values, and I think most American people do have those values, uh, you know, guess which people would choose? if they're presented with that opportunity. Now, there's corruption. Corruption is a really big deal. And I recently spoke, I was a bit taken aback, with a Brazilian woman who had some wealth, clearly. She welcomed the new far-right President Bolsonaro as someone who would at last take on widespread corruption, which reminds me of Duterte in the Philippines. He's taken on corruption, killing a lot of innocent people. I wonder about the danger of right-wing nationalism feeding on the desire to stop corruption. Uh, And, you know, if we don't do anything, there'll there'll be this more right-wing nationalism and exacerbate the refugee crisis. Your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, I think the United States really sets the tone for the entire world to a degree that we don't appreciate. Uh, I think a lot of these... Efforts that we see rising up, uh, Turkey, Philippines, uh, Brazil, uh, are are mirroring what we did with Trump, uh, Brexit. And I think it's the same sort of thing. Uh, Millions of local indigenous people, the people out in the sticks, the people on, on the farms and in the factories, feel they've been badly neglected. And they have been. Uh, that's what drove Brexit. Uh, that's what drove Trump's election. Uh, the, the millions of people that felt they just had to do something different—that the uh, the main politicians uh, were screwing them—and they needed to to vote for a change. And and I think that's what happened with Trump. People just wanted to vote for a change. People put up with his crap, they put up with his lying, they put up with a lot of the stuff he does because he's going to make a change. And they were hoping the change would be the change for the better. And I think that's the whole thing through the the, white, the right-wing efforts globally now is people are fed up. With what the major politicians have been doing, right. they need to make some changes, and they have they have distractions like these things on immigrants and race and fear. They have distractions waved at them uh, by people who say, "Vote for me, and and I'll make things different," and and so they do.
0: And the corruption, you know, the the uh, being sold as fighting corruption. I guess there's a lot of corruption in Brazil and Bolsonaro came in and there's this you know right wing nationalism that somehow has got to be countered again it's an opportunity for something different to happen but if if we you know if there's a vacuum uh you know this this right wing nationalism comes in and that that ain't good that doesn't help the US I don't think and yeah you write that the United States can help mobilize citizens and lo- local civil society to reestablish public safety. I'm assuming that relates to what you're talking about by spreading uh, smartphones. I don't know if there are...
1: Yes. You know, there's, uh, the, the Democrat, democracy promotion agencies have done a fair bit uh, in that area. They've set up uh, groups. They've set up uh, systems. Uh, they have people enthused about some programs and, and that's it, it goes back to this same thing of, of grassroots it, it's got to be grassroots it's got to be getting people involved and it's just true, true in the United States also uh, the, uh, the people that are concerned about what's going on in the United States are, are really trying to get involved in things and they don't quite know what to get involved in, uh, and it's the same thing uh, in these countries, and it's the same, it's the thing that networks of, uh, of, of smartphones and social media could be a really positive impact, uh, mm-hmm. but we've also seen in the United States uh, what a hugely disruptive yeah. impact it can be uh, when it starts getting... Managed for uh, fake news, you know, uh, managed for, for emotional appeals uh, that really are, are terrible in yeah. many cases. But they, they get people distracted. And in the United States, they get so many people distracted from, again, what I see as the, the, the most critical element of all, Uh, the economic inequality in the United States.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. But talk about money as it relates to every issue. I don't know how much the uh, Marshall Plan in the 1940s cost. I'm not sure how much we spend on national security, so-called now in places like Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and places like that. Any guess as to how much of an investment... You might be suggesting here, I mean, you know, 5.7 for this ridiculous wall.
1: You know, I, I think a 5.7 billion investment in Central America, well, spelt, well spent and, and well watched over, could have a huge impact. Yeah. Uh, you look at a place like I do all the time with Afghanistan, where we spent, I don't know, a trillion dollars to this point, And there's still a million people out of work. The, the economy is it's terrible. Uh, people are, are are growing opium because it's the best crop they get. It's, it's the best return they get. Of course. Uh, the, uh, the corruption is, is really awful. So I, I don't know. There, there's no, there's no yeah. easy answer. There's no answer no, that will make things better next year. Right. And that's one reason why uh, the programs to uh, address it are so difficult to promote, because because they're all long-term.
0: I wonder about members of Congress. They tend to think, next election, next election, and it seems yes. to be getting worse all the time. But somehow this idea has to take hold somewhere. Uh, I I don't know if if you, uh, Ed Corcoran, see any presidential candidates, we have a very large bench, or any members of Congress who might be susceptible to this or might be talking about this idea of long-term investment to really address the problem that causes people to flee in desperation. Any talk of that in Washington? Or do we need to work on it with our presidential candidates?
1: Well, uh, I sort of vaguely follow that. And I live in Denver. Uh, I'm in Denver right now area, uh, so I'm not really very much involved with the political stuff, uh, but I think I think we need to get more involved supporting the candidates that are willing to look at long-term solutions. Uh, right now there's, I don't know, a dozen Democratic candidates that are standing up. Yeah. Uh, I like Elizabeth Warren and a lot of the... The focus she has, because she has a strong focus on this income inequality problem that I think is at the basis of everything. Bernie also talks a lot on that. Uh, I think there's not been a good, cohesive, uh, comprehensive view of what people would like to do on this. Uh, And I look to see what... Uh, some of these newer candidates, I don't know, Camila Harris or some of the newer members of Congress, could uh, will will do on that.
0: Well, we will see. There's also Sherrod Brown. Don't forget, there's a huge number of people in there. Well, if people are interested in doing something about this, there must be groups. I mean, there's as I mentioned before, you know, there's various uh, nonprofits that that give micro loans. But are there other organizations that are focusing on this, I suppose there's foreign policy in focus. I don't know if you any suggestions you may have if people want to get involved and help, you know, bring the pressure to make these changes.
1: Uh, I'm really not familiar with a lot of the the social organizations uh, that these immigrants in the United States have put together. I know that a huge amount of Of the money that supports the people down in these countries is money uh, that their family members their associates uh, that have gotten in the United States that are working here many of them uh, citizens here uh, the huge amount of money they send back uh, to these countries is one of the things that helps keep people afloat down there and and perhaps one of the things uh, that could be done better is to get these people to work together to send funds not just to their individual right. people back there but to programs back there. Like, for instance, uh, uh, a program on, on smartphones and, and interrelating uh, markets information or interrelating social information to the people there uh, to promote some some private funds, a huge amount of private funds going down there right now uh, to encourage these people to work together and not just send money to their friends right. and relatives, but to get together to support, Uh, individual-specific grassroots programs, efforts, microloans, all those sorts of things.
0: And people can follow this stuff on foreign policy and focus as well. That looks at a lot of the uh, things that we're talking about here. And hopefully, you know, we can put pressure on our members of Congress by raising the issue, uh, do we believe in our own values? And let's have our own values be at work here. Well, thank you so much. It's been very, very informative. What we can do to address the issues that'll work a lot better than some silly wall. Ed Corcoran. Yes. Thank you so much for being with us on Keeping Yes, you're
1: welcome. We need to stop just bitching about things and looking at positive uh, alternatives.
0: Absolutely. We can do it. We can. I believe it. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, indeed. Thank you. Bye now. Bye.
2: Okay, buy me in America. Everything
0: free in America. For coffee in America. Okay, Buying on credit is so nice. One look at us and they charge twice. I have my own washing machine. What will you have, though, to keep clean? <laughs> skyscrapers bloom in America. Wealth in a room in America. Lots of new housing with more space. Lots of doors slamming in our face. I'll get a terrace apartment. Better get rid of your accent.
2: Life can be bright in America. If you can fight in
0: America,
2: life is bright in
0: America. If you're all white in
2: America As you
1: stay
0: on your own side, free to be anything you choose, free to wear tables and shine shoes. Everywhere, crime in America, organized crime in America, terrible time in America. You forget I'm in America.